First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just as we learned this morning that our baptism is to have ongoing significance in our lives, the same can be said of the Lord's Supper. Again, just as baptism is to have ongoing significance, that is to say, whether you were baptized 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 1 day ago, uh, the memory of your baptism and what it conveys, or whether what God conveys to you and gives to you in baptism is to stay with you. For instance, as Pastor Antonio said this morning, you don't get married and then forget you're married the next day. Your marriage has ongoing significance. The day you were married, the day you said I do before others has ongoing significance the day after and the day after and then for years on end. So likewise, saints, we can say that baptism has ongoing significance, but also the Lord's Supper has ongoing significance. That is to say, what we do today, what we do every single Sunday, is to be a remembrance for us Sunday night, Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday midday. We are to remember what we did this day, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, saints, what does it do? What does it speak to us? What's it, what does it preach to us? Many theologians call the Lord's Supper a visible word. A visible word, right? It preaches to you something. Well, what does it preach to us? It preaches to us that Jesus loves us. It preaches that Jesus loves you. Saints of God, if you don't know that Jesus loves you, you don't need to look at the great job that you have. Although we talked about how God has provided for us throughout the year, that's fine. We are reminded of Christ's love for us at the bread and the wine. What he has did for us. He died for us. He lived and he died for us. The Lord's Supper is an extension of Jesus Christ. Whereby he touches us. And he works on us. Wouldn't it be great, saints? You know, you hear these stories in the Bible where Jesus touches the man with his, uh, with his hand and the man that's blind is healed. He touches the leopard who are sick and then they're healed. Wouldn't you be great? Oh, if we can just have one touch of Christ. Saints of God, he touches you every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. By the bread and the wine, Jesus Christ touches you. And he heals you. He says that you are mine and I am yours by the Spirit. So, we are to have on uh, the Lord's Supper is to have ongoing relevance for our lives and significance. We'll consider that at the end, toward the end. Remember, saints, though, what the Lord's Supper is. And I'm going to touch briefly on this first point. The Lord's Supper, when we partake of the Supper, we are feasting upon Christ. We are feasting upon Christ. Now, remember, saints, this is not uh, we don't feast upon Christ in the same manner as the Roman Catholics feast upon Christ, that Jesus Christ is not Physically, really, pre- or physically present here. He is really present, but not physically present here, right? He's not. We're not literally eating, 
right? The body and blood of Jesus Christ, but rather we are feasting upon Christ in a spiritual manner. A spiritual manner. <clears throat> Herman Bobbing says, though the, Lord's, though the Lord's Supper is a real meal, as such, it has a spiritual significance and purpose of its own. Christ did not institute it so that it would nourish us physically, but rather spiritually. Nourish us physically, but rather spiritually. That is to say, Christ is not present to us in a material form. So, um, the realness of Christ's body and blood is not like the realness of a hamburger and fries. Right? It's not that type of realness. It's a spiritual realness. But rather, and mind you, sakes, that's not less real. You might say, well, because it's spiritual, because it's immaterial, it's invisible, it's less real. Um, as Pastor Antonio said last Sunday beautifully, do you think that your salvation in Christ is less real? Do you think that your faith in Christ is less real? No, it's not, because you can see already outworkings of a changed life. You're different than you are today than you were last year and the years before that. So we don't receive Christ through the organ of the mouth, but as Peter Margaret Vermigli says, a great theologian, he says, we receive Christ through the organ of faith. The organ of faith. I have a quote from him, but it's too long. Just as the mouth of the body eats bread and wine, so the mouth of the soul eats Jesus Christ. Our souls touch the soul, the human soul of Jesus Christ. And saints of God, this is really, truly feeding upon Jesus Christ. The nourishment that we receive from Christ, saints, the nourishment that you receive at the Lord's Supper goes far beyond the nourishment that you receive in and out. It goes far beyond the nourishment that you received when we took a break just an hour ago. Your bellies were full indeed, but your soul, your spiritual soul wasn't full. Your, your spiritual soul wasn't nourished. Sure, you cleanse, you know, um, 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 many things in your body that is that were crying for food. But that food did not touch your spiritual soul. Only this food touches your spiritual soul. Why? Because this food points to the true manna, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ touches us. In fact, saints, think about this. If Christ wasn't interested in nourishing us physically at the Lord's Supper, he would give us something other than bread and wine, honestly. Shouldn't he give us uh, rice steak and Coke? <laughs> that would nourish us physically. But he's not interested in nourishing us physically at the Lord's Supper. He's interested in doing what, saints? And putting you on the operation table and working on you. Nourishing us spiritually. Spiritually. You know why, saints? Because quite honestly, we don't need our bellies to be full. We need our spiritual souls to be full. We need the fullness of grace. That's what we need. Not, not the fullness of food, but the fullness of grace. And that's what Christ gives to us every single Sunday when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's what we do when we, when we feast. Short, short um, explanation of that. We want to consider what we do at the Lord's Supper is we remember. We remember. Paul's words again in our text, Christ says two times to remember something. Two times to remember something. He says, this body, which is which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. After the cup, uh, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. We are to remember something at the Lord's Supper. We are to remember something. And that something, saints, is the worst day in human history. Isn't that ironic? 
the thing that we are to remember at the Lord's Supper is the worst day in human history. Because it was on that day when the only innocent man that's ever lived, the Lord of glory, was killed, was murdered. On that day is the worst day in human history. They crucified God. But also, saints, it was the greatest day in human history. Not only was the crucifixion of Christ the worst day in human history, but also it was the greatest day in human history. How was it the greatest day in human history, saints? For it was on that day that Jesus Christ took the ancient debt that we owe to God and He paid it in full. You could say that, you could say that the, 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 the death of Jesus Christ was the death of anyone and everyone who tries to earn their way to God. It's the death of it. Because Jesus Christ offered a once-for-all sacrifice. A once-for-all sacrifice. Now what we have at the cross of Christ is now we have Jacob's ladder. Now we have a ladder to God. Now we can touch God. Now we can be united to God. And now God can indwell us as it was said this morning. When we see the bread... Our minds should think of the body of Christ that hung on the cross. When we see the wine, our minds should think of the blood that was shed for you to make us clean. And that's this congregation, when we see the bread and the wine, when in just a few moments when I open up and the bread and the wine are made visible for us, what should we think about? We should think about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Saints of God, do you think of the sufferings of Christ? Do you think of the sufferings of Christ? When was the last time in our busy days we just stopped for two minutes and just meditated on the sufferings of Jesus Christ? How are we to think of the sufferings of Christ, saints? If you were to think of the sufferings of Christ, how do you do so? What are we to think about? Well, saints, we're to think of the intensity of the sufferings of Christ. The intensity of of the sufferings of Christ. We see this intensity of Christ, of his sufferings in two ways. And now I'm going to explain the twofold sufferings of Christ. And when I do so, I'm not just giving you, I don't, I'm not interested in giving you facts. Something that you could write down and say, okay, I'm going to look at this later, which you ought to, but I'm more so wanting to explain the two sufferings of Christ for two reasons. For, for, for one, for you to come to the table with more reverence but also for, to, for you to live unto God with greater love. That's why. To come to the table more reverence, but also to, to live unto God with more love. <clears throat> the, two, the two full sufferings of Christ, saints. Christ suffered interiorly, and he suffered exteriorly. Christ suffered interiorly, and he suffered exteriorly. Saints of God, when we consider the sufferings of our Christ, think of this. Did Jesus Christ suffer in his soul? Did he suffer in his soul? In other words, did Jesus Christ experience sorrow? Did he experience sadness? Did he experience fear? Did he experience anger? Think of this. The Lord of glory, the one who was all perfect, did he experience sorrow that you have? Fear that we go through. Anguish that we experience. Did he, did that happen in his soul? And indeed we have to affirm it did. We have to affirm that 
the Lord of glory who took on human nature. He sorrowed. Just think of that. He anguished. He feared. Remember, saints, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in order for us to be healed completely, Jesus Christ must assume all of who we are. He must not just assume a body in order to die, but also he assumes, he, he assumes, he wills for himself the defects of the body. Which are these defects? Sorrow. You were not meant to cry. Fear. All these defects in the body. Jesus Christ, the eternal son, assumes. He assumes a body, but also he assumes tears. He assumes a body, but also he assumes sadness. He assumes fear. Luke 19.41 And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. John 11.33 When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come also with her, or, or, or had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Lord of glory, as man was troubled. Luke 22, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Christ as man needed to be strengthened. And being in agony, he was praying, and his sweat became like drops of blood. Oh, how we, oh, how we don't meditate on this. His sweat became drops of blood. John 11.35, Jesus wept. These verses speak of the man who was prophesied in Isaiah 53.3, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The scriptures are not shy of speaking of the emotional life of Christ, but it's quite interesting, saints, that the scriptures doesn't speak of Christ laughing. You never hear of Christ laughing. You, you, you never hear of Christ Cracking a smile. Although he was joyful. We'll get to that. But you hear very frequently he cried. You hear very frequently he was angry. He was troubled. The scriptures are explicit about Christ's sadness and sorrow. All of this points to the interior, the inner sufferings of Jesus Christ. That although, yes, he was suffering outwardly by the hands of, of, of the criminals, but also inwardly there was something going on. There was something happening in Jesus Christ. You know, you know this well. When someone looks troubled, you say, what's going on with you? They say, ah, oh, nothing's going on. You know something's going on. <laughs> something was going on in Jesus Christ. What caused our Lord great suffering saints inwardly? Thomas Aquinas says, for Christ suffered from his friends abandoning him. His reputation from the blasphemies hurled at him. In his honor and glory from the mockeries and the insults heaped upon him. In things for he despoiled of his garments. In his soul from sadness, weariness and fear. In his body from wounds. Think of the disciples. All left Jesus Christ. All abandoned him to the point where not just I'm leaving you, but I don't know him. I don't know that man. 
Do you think our Lord was not sorrowful over that? Do you think that that didn't hurt him? Peter abandoning him? Think of the many that rejected him. Came to his hometown, they wanted to kill him. The word says he cries over Jerusalem. He cries over Jerusalem. Think of his despair and his desire to uphold his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. The Bible says to the point where he sweats drops of blood in fear of God. Holy fear, of course, but in fear of God. Many of you know what it's like to experience those sufferings. Many of you know what it's like to experience fear and sorrow and pain. Many of you. But saints, I would argue that Christ experienced the greatest of sufferings. He experienced the greatest of sufferings. In other, in other words, saints, you can't say, well, I, I cry. Christ cried. Same thing. No, 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 no. Christ's tears were far greater than your tears. Christ's pain far exceeds any pain that you will ever go through in this life. Yes, Christ can sympathize with our weaknesses. We cannot sympathize with His. We cannot sympathize with His. The interior sufferings of Christ were most extreme saints of any who could suffer. Remember, saints, who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Which means that in His human mind, He must know His mission. He must know what He came to do. You know, you don't call someone to help you put up the table. And when they get there, they say, hey, let's figure it out together. You call someone to to fix your cable, to put your table up. Who knows how to put a table up and fix the TV? Well, Jesus Christ comes down from heaven and he knows his mission as man. He knows what he was sent to do. He knows whom he was to die for. Which means things that Jesus Christ, in his human mind, he knew who he was. He didn't discover who he was. He he knew who he was. And he knew what he came to do. But also in his human mind, he knew God fully. He knew God fully. He knew who the Father was better than anyone in human history. As the Scriptures say in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This one comes down from heaven, and He is full of grace and truth. Well, we have to ask, what does it mean to be full of truth? What is truth? John 17.3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Saints of God, to know God is to know truth. Saints of God, you know truth. You are not, you are not like the foolish atheists. You know truth. Truth is to know God. And since Jesus Christ was full of truth, He knew God fully. He knew God fully. To the highest possible degree, a human can know God. He knew God. And it's this full, and hear me now, it's this full knowledge of God. It's this full light that he has of God. That is the backdrop, is the reason why he suffers the most extreme pain. Again, the reason why he's able to suffer, the reason why his tears are more intense is because of his knowledge of God. 
For someone who knows God the most will grieve over sin the most. For someone who knows God the most will grieve over sins the most. We know this in our own lives, saints, do we not? Let's say you go a whole five months not committing that particular sin that you would constantly commit. And let's say the, the moment you commit that sin, how do you feel? You feel like the worst person on earth. You feel like that closeness that you had with God is now gone. You could think of it as in, maybe in dieting terms too. Tony told me he's no longer drinking soda, but on Christmas Day he will, Lord's Day, he will drink a soda with me. And once he does so, saints, once he does so, he might feel like the worst person on earth because of how long he's gone without drinking a soda. Well, saints of God, think of our Jesus Christ. Who was the closest to God, which means he had the, he had the most sensitivity towards sin. It was said of Catherine of Siena that she would nauseate, she would throw up, she began to be nauseous at the sight of sin. Well, think of our Christ. How, how sick would he be at sin? We look at those out in the world who are just blatant sinners and we, we're sick to our stomachs. We say, how can they do that? How, when you, when you see these, you think of these, these men and women who are scarring and marring the image of God on television. You say to yourself, how can they do that? Think of Jesus Christ. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the cause of this sorrow and sin and pain? What caused him the most grief? The sins of mankind. The sins of mankind. One biblical example of this we see, as we already said, is Christ's cry over Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You were not willing. You did not accept me. Here we see what causes the most sorrow and pain in Christ's soul. The people rejected the only Messiah that they will ever have. That people rejected the Son of God. And saints of God, we know this to a lesser degree. Many of you know of people who are not saved. You might know of a best friend. Your mom, your father, your grandfather might not be saved. And what grieves you the most? What grieves you the most when they reject Jesus Christ? It's because, first, you love them. But second, you know what they are missing by not choosing Jesus Christ. You share with your unsafe family member and friend the gospel and you say to yourself afterwards that they rejected, how could you reject this? How could you not choose Jesus Christ? It's unreasonable not to choose Jesus Christ. Isn't that what you say? He's so good. Taste and see the Lord is good. I have. Oh, saints of God, think of our Christ then. Think of our Christ. How much more did Jesus Christ grieve over the sins of humanity who knows better than anyone what sinners are losing by not accepting him? By not accepting him. He knows better than anyone what sinners are losing by not choosing him. And by and in light of that, saints, he grieves over it. 
Jesus Christ is not ashamed to cry over those who are not saved. Since Christ knew God fully, since He enjoyed God, He had a more profound understanding of sin. Better than any human in this life. You hear what I just said, saints? That Jesus Christ essentially knows your sin better than you do. He knows your sin better than you do. Not because He's experienced or committed a sin. No, that's, that, that's not the reason. But because He knows God fully. Because He knows God. He knows how good God is. That's why. He knows how good God is. And because He knows how good God is fully, He thereby sees the offense that sin has, the the infinite offense that sin is to God. How could you sin against this good God? How could you do that? We know this by experience, saints. We know this by experience. Again, Many of us have experienced the sensitivities of sin before. Many of us have experienced the sensitivities of sin before. And saints of God, no one was more sensitive to sin than Jesus Christ. Because of his love for God's goodness, because of who he is, he suffered more inwardly. Because of Christ's love for righteousness, his view of sin was more darkened than others. One theologian puts it this way, Christ bears the interiorly, the darkness and his anguish over the sins of each and one, uh, uh, each one of us. But it is crucial to note that he can only bear this darkness. Christ can only bear the darkness of sin fully because of the simultaneous light by which he knows God. Because of how bright he sees God. He's able to see how dark sin is. Oh, God, saints, I hope we get there. I hope God gives us such light. Which means, saints, is yes, we can, we can do the deed of looking at the heinousness of sin, but saints of God, look at how good God is. You, that's how you kill sin. Is consider how good, how light God is. And in light of that, you will see how dark sin is. It's exactly because Christ's supreme knowledge of God that allows him to see sin as meant to be seen. He sees sin the way it's meant to be seen. You see, one thing about Christ is he doesn't, he's not comfortable with sin. And that's what we should learn from our Christ. That he was not comfortable. That he sees sin, but even though he might not do something about it, inwardly, he's suffering. It doesn't sit with him well. And say throughout his largely life, the sins of humanity would cause him the most sorrow. Because of the sins of the world, he cries over Jerusalem. Because of the sin of Adam and what Adam brought upon mankind death, he, he weeps at Lazarus' tomb. The congregation, we must remember that our Savior was not content to merely look upon the sins with profound sadness, but rather our Savior does something about it. He doesn't say that I will, I will look from a distance, but rather he does something about it. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he has bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus Christ he carried my sorrow. He became one with my sorrow. He became one with me. 
Our Lord not only wears our flesh, He also wears our tears. He doesn't just, he doesn't, he's not just wearing our flesh in our likeness, but rather also He's wearing our sorrow from birth to His death. He wears our sorrows to the cross and He nails it there. So congregation, when you think of our sufferings of Christ, in just a few moments when the bread is being broken before you, don't jump immediately to the outward pain. We'll get there. It's necessary. But don't jump immediately to the outward pain. Think of Christ's interior pain. Think of his interior pain. Just as he bled for you, think of this congregation. We know this. Just as he bled for you, he cried for you. He cried for you. If he wept over the sins of unsaved Jerusalem, do you think he will not weep over the sins of his beloved? Of his, of his children? You mean Jesus Christ? Cried for me? Yes. He cried for us, saints. When he contemplated each and every one of our sins, he, he felt sorrow and he cried for us. It was your saint, it was your, your sin, saints, that not only nailed him to the cross, but also what caused him the most sorrow. Your sins. My sins. It nailed them, but also it caused him the most interior grief. He didn't just experience the piercing of nails for you, saints. He dreaded those nails in holy fear of God for you. He dreaded them. Oh, 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 we are to think of this, saints, in just a moment when we partake of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Let's just quickly consider the outward sufferings of our Lord. Not only did our Christ suffer our sorrow over the sufferings uh, over uh, for us in his soul, but he sorrowed over the pain he experienced in his body. Luke 23, 33. When he came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. <clears throat> Crucifixion was invented by the Persians in 300 BC and was further developed during Roman times. It was a punishment that was reserved for the most vicious and serious of criminals. The upwooden cross was the most common technique where and the time victims took to die would depend on how they were crucified. Those accused of robbery were often tied to the crucifix and because they could better support their weight with their arms, they might survive for several days. One of the most severe methods of crucifixion was to place the victim's arms over their heads. One says that that can kill them in ten minutes to half an hour. But Christ's arms were not over his head. Christ's arms were stretched out for all the world to see. He was nailed. He was nailed. Not tied. He was nailed. His wrists, one of the most sensitive parts of your body, 
were nailed to a cross. Someone nailed to a crucifix with their arms stretched out on either side could expect to live no longer than 24 hours. Seven inch nails. Seven inch nails would be driven through the wrist so that the bones there could support the body's weight. The nail would sever the nerve, which not only caused immense pain, but would paralyze the victim's hands. Christ couldn't feel his hands. The feet were nailed to the upright part of the crucifix so that the knees were bent around 45 degrees. To speed the death, the executioners would often break the legs of the victims so they had no support. Once the legs give out, the weight would be transferred to the arms, gradually dragging the shoulders from their sockets. Elbows and wrists would follow a few minutes later. By then, the arms would be six or seven inches longer. The victim would have no choice but to bear his weight on his chest. He couldn't support himself with his legs. He couldn't support himself with his arms. His shoulders couldn't lift him up. All his weight would be go to his chest. He would immediately have trouble breathing. Suffocation would usually follow. This gruesome and horrific way to die was the way our Christ chose to give his life. Not to go into a room with only 12 to see, with lethal injection. Not to go into a room with only 12 or whoever to see, how many to see, to sit in a chair to be electrocuted. No, for all the world to see. Seven inch nails, feet, wrists, And we haven't even got to the thorns on his head. We haven't even got to the beatings on his body. Upon a high mountain for all the sea saints. Our Lord died in a way that was only reserved for the most evil of criminals. Death by crucifixion. Death by this evil device of men. Saints of God. We often say this. Often do we say this. But have you ever stopped and contemplated these words? Jesus died for me. Jesus, the Son of God, died in a most horrific way for me. Saints of God, the Lord's Supper preaches this. The Lord's Supper preaches this. It says, as you come individually to receive the body and blood of Christ, Jesus Christ individually dies for you. He knew who you were. He knew your sins. And he says, I'm going to carry that man. I'm going to carry that woman's sins to the cross. And they will bear them no more. Oh, saints of God, Jesus died for us. This is what we were to remember at the Lord's Supper. Inwardly, he suffered. Intensely. Outwardly, he suffered. Intensely. How are we to live in light of this, saints? How are we to live in light of this? Number one, because of such knowledge of Christ's sufferings, 
we can come to the table of Christ with more reverence and deeper love. Saints of God, come to the table. See what your Savior has done for you. Oh, saints of God, when I break the bread in just a few moments, don't look down. Please don't look down. Look at what he did for you. Look at what he did for you. Oh, oh, what love is this? What greater love this is? Can you point to anyone in your life that's ever died for you? No one but other than Jesus. No one other than Jesus Christ. He died for us, saints. Secondly, because of Christ, because of such knowledge of Christ's sufferings, the Lord's Supper preaches to us that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. So let us sin no longer. Let us sin no longer. Just as baptism reminds us of the newness of life that we have, the Lord's Supper continually reminds us of the newness of life that we have. Our sins have been paid for. Our sins have been paid for. Saints of God, think of the Lord's Supper Sunday night. Think of the Lord's Supper Monday morning. Do not embarrass the work of Christ when temptation arises and you say, that's more lovely than Christ. Do not embarrass, do not make a mockery of Christ's intense sufferings for you when temptation arises and you say, I will love the knife that cut my Savior's throat more than my Savior. Because that's when you do when you choose the sin. Is you choose to love the spear that went into the side of our Savior. You choose to love the nails. You choose, you are putting the thorns on Christ. Don't sin. We don't hear this as often as we should. Do not sin, saints. And here's the great news. You don't have to. You don't have to sin. Hear me now. You don't have to sin. You have a chance. You have the choice to not sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. That's not a mental conscience. That's not what we think mentally. No, 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 no. We are slaves to righteousness. So saints of God, I think this is a great summarization of this morning's sermon, also today's, or this, this afternoon's. Don't move on from baptism and the Lord's Supper. Don't move on from it. There are many things that we experience in this life that are in the back of our minds that it just, at the, at the very, in the very second we can go back to. I can think of the beach. I can think of the experience I had at Disneyland and all the experiences I've had with my wife. Oh, saints of God. On Monday morning, do you remember when you came and you partake of the body and blood of Christ? Do you remember that? Did you remember the waters of baptism and stepping out? And the first time you stepped out, it was those moments when Jesus Christ came. It was like those moments when Christ came out the tomb and he, and he stepped on dry land, a new creation. Oh, saints of God, don't move on mentally. Don't move on spiritually. Don't move on emotionally. From baptism and the Lord's Supper, let's pray.